Morning, everybody. Happy something something football day. And welcome to the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I am joined live from Qatar by my fellow mirror columnist, Darren Lewis. Morning, Darren. Morning, morning. I should say afternoon, actually, because it's just around about five past 12 here in Doha in Qatar. Um, I'm a bit bleary-eyed, forgive me, because I've been up very late, took a long time to get back to uh, my place after the game last night. But uh, it's a good day. Yeah, happy. So we've got a very slight delay coming in from Qatar because they've been able to put on the World Cup, they've been able to put on the broadband. So uh, we're going to have to deal with that as we go, but we'll try and do our best. Now, uh, this is the People's Pay-Per-View, so get into the comments, ask us your questions, we'll try and answer them for you. Those of you listening later on podcast will just have to ask Jude Bellingham to sort out the midfield for you, won't you? So what (laughs) have we got today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the England men's football team 3-0 win last night over Senegal, which means they're out of the group stages and into the quarterfinals. Now, this show usually discusses politics, and I'm very aware that some of our usual listeners, like me, uh, may not know as much about the footy. So we're going to treat this as a chance for us all to learn something. This is going to dominate the news for at least the rest of the week, isn't it, Darren? So everyone's going to be talking about it. Those of us who only pay attention once every four years until we lose on penalties need to pick up a few pointers so that we can sound like we know what we're talking about when we have to say something and express some sort of opinion between now and Saturday <laughs> afternoon. So, Darren, take us through this, please, as gently as you can. Last night, England won at the football, I understand. Was that a surprise or was it was it always going to happen? No, it was... I wouldn't say it was a surprise, but there was a, a great deal of joy because of the team that they were playing against being so good. And that team was Senegal, as you've just said. They are the champions of Africa. They'd won the African version of the European Championship in uh, earlier this year. Uh, And they also got to the final of that competition two years ago. They've got a lot of good players in the team, including the goalkeeper of Chelsea, Edouard Mendy, and Chelsea's uh, very expensive central defender, Kaladu Koulibaly. They were without a player called Sadio Mane, who used to play for Liverpool and has now gone to the German champions Bayern Munich. And lots of people felt they wouldn't be as good at this tournament without him, but they have been that good. And so everybody of an England persuasion has been very concerned about Senegal. And the fact that England did so well last night in the end spoke a lot about the quality of this team and the job that uh, Southgate's doing. One other thing as well, normally when we watch England um, through either biting our fingers or through up for our fingers full stop. Um, or dead watch. Coming home. home. Um, yeah, well, indeed. Um, they normally scrape a goal by maybe a corner or, you know, someone produces something out of nothing. But... The goals last night, especially two of the three of them, were an excellent example of teamwork, really impressive flowing moves that were easy on the eye. And that's the reason why so many people are so excited about England. It isn't just an England team scoring goals, but they're scoring really attractive goals and scoring and playing in a really attractive way. That's why there is a lot of optimism starting to grow. Right. So in, in, in terms of sport that I understand a little bit better, it was we're, not, we're used to watching Tim Henman 
and just slowly falling apart and just about holding it together. But actually now we're watching Roger Federer floating around like a butterfly. I think that's a, a, a magnificent am, am, <laughs> amalgam of <laughs> metaphors because you've, uh, <laughs> uh, you've, you've thrown a little bit of Ali in there as well. But you're right to do that because England are playing with charisma. They're playing with the charisma of um, Ali. They're playing with the efficiency of Roger Federer. And most importantly, they are winning games and they are building up a really good run. And to put it into context of recent years, in 2018, we started to see the signs of that when England got to the last four, the semifinals of the World Cup in Russia. And they were beaten back then by Croatia after taking the lead. They didn't know what to do. A lot of the players that are here now were a bit younger and a bit more inexperienced. And then last year, with a few more, a couple more years after, under their belts, they did a lot better and they got to the final of the European Championship. So they've got that experience under their belts. Of course, we all know what happened. They missed penalties against Italy and they went out of the competition. Now they're back with another year under their belt and you're seeing the benefit of that experience because they're playing well, they're showing leadership. They've scored, what is it, 12 goals so far and only one of those goals has been scored by Harry Kane, which is incredible because he won the Golden Boot, the prize for the leading scorer at the World Cup four years ago. But since then, other players have stepped up to take responsibility, not least the guy in the frame, well, both those guys in the frame, Jude Bellingham, and with his back to us, Jordan Henderson, the Liverpool midfielder, who both of them, listen, Henderson scored an example of what I was speaking to you about before, a wonderfully constructive move, which ended up with a goal. I think it was seven or eight passes that England put together, and it went from the goalkeeper all the way into the back of the Senegal net. That's why people are excited, because they believe that even though they're about to come up against France, I know you'll get to them in a second, but even though they come up against France spearheaded by one of the, well, arguably the best player in the world right now, England have got a number of top players as well, and they think they can hold their own. Oh, well, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? But anyone who's taking notes, right, that's all you need to remember, <laughs> OK? The charisma of Ali and the efficiency of Federer. Right? Write that down, everybody, on a post-it. You're going to need it later on at some point during the week. In fact, you probably use it every day. You what, you're doing okay. fantastic out with those metaphors. Please keep dropping those metaphors in uh, because I think you're doing, <laughs> you're doing far better than I have. <laughs> we'll try it. Now, uh, we just saw those pictures there. There are some, plenty of young rising stars in the Lions. Um, get into the comments, by the way. Ask us your questions. What do you think about last night? Were you expecting it to go England's way? Uh, who was the man of the match for you? Let us know. Um, or are you just completely befuffled? And why are we here? Why aren't we talking about the Tories? Do let us know. Um, but out of all these young rising stars in the Lions, the one that's going to be getting all the tabloid attention is a 19-year-old lad from Stourbridge called Jude Bellingham. He's a midfielder, and according to a pundit I was listening to this morning, is really driving the rest of the midfield and the rest of the team to really work well together, whatever that means. Uh, and, of course, he scored the first goal uh, just 39 minutes into the match last night, I think. Um, so, Darren, now he's being talked about as like the next Wayne Rooney or something, isn't he? Or the next Ronaldo or something. Is that fair? He's much prettier than Wayne. <laughs> uh, well, I'll just go... just go back a slightly towards something that you said, which is key. Um, uh, 
in a, in a press conference Gareth Southgate gave last week, he said that there are lots of people back home in England who are, you know, having a, not a nice time with the cost of living crisis and all of the serious things that this show normally covers. And so it, it gives context to what is happening because he said, we want to put smiles on people's faces. We want to provide performances that enable people back home to take a sense of pride in their national football team. Now, he did that four years ago, to be fair to him, hence everyone wearing waistcoats and throwing beer all over each other in box parks that summer. And and again last year as well, when England were on the way to the final. But in none of those performances were England particularly pleasing on the eye. They set up to try and stop the opposition. When I say set up, they sent the team out with tactics that were designed to stop the opposition. Um, but this time around, they've come out, they've had what the kids would call a glow up. Um, they're, they're much more, there's, there's a lot more charisma about them at the moment. And at the centre of all of that is Bellingham. Now, in that frame, you showed of Bellingham and Henderson. It was Henderson who scored that first goal last night. Bellingham I'm was sorry, the well, it shows what two. I know, doesn't it? <laughs> don't worry, don't worry, you'll trip me up eventually, don't worry, I, I don't know anywhere near as much. Um, but the two guys in the picture here are, are, are a wonderful example of um, what makes England tick. Because Henderson, with his back to us, he plays for Liverpool, he's, he plays in the centre of midfield, and he's the guy who collects the ball from the defenders and basically chooses players to pass it to who are in the positions to go on and score. Either Henderson or Bellingham can do that. Now, Henderson is he's the wrong side of 30. Bellingham is only 19. He should not be able to be as good as he is. But he is so good that when he was at one of his first clubs, Birmingham, he wore the number 22 shirt. And when he left to go to the German club Borussia Dortmund, they decided that no other person would have the shirt he had. He was that good. And the money that was paid for him enabled the club to continue going as a going concern. That's how good he was. That's how coveted he was. And now he's been at Dortmund for a couple of years. There are some of the biggest clubs in European football who want to sign him. And every game he plays for England, we see why. That's why it's in the centre of the frame. We can see on the right, your left, maybe. Um, and that's the reason why he's being talked about when you watch the TV shows. Even though the other guys are the ones who have scored all the goals, goals he is the guy at the centre of it. I suppose, to do one of your analogies, um, Susie, if in politics somebody was... There was a strategist at the heart of a political party who always seemed to hit the right notes and be able to touch on the issues that affect the country and enable politicians to articulate those concerns and address those concerns in the right way. That's the analogy I would use around Bellingham. He is a guy who's always able to find the right pass to put the right player in a good position in conditions to score a goal. That's why we're so excited about Saturday. It isn't just about the forward players, Kane, Saka, Foden, Rashford, but it's a guy, it's a, he's a conductor. He's a guy who pulls the strings behind them. Um, and he's only, what, he's a couple of years older than my son. I'm going to have to go home and maybe uh, ask my son what he's doing with his life. <laughs> yeah, why aren't you being more like Jude Bellingham? Um, but that, I think as well, some of it, you know, comparing him to someone like Wayne Rooney, I think it's partly because, you know, he's a, he's a young lad. They're from, it's a, it's a working class sport. He's a working class lad. He's got yeah. an accent. 
He's got a regional accent. And so people have put him, idiots in some places, have put him in a, in a, in a category in which they put other working class, regional accented lads who are in football and go, well, he's the next one of those. And they don't comprehend that maybe he's the first Jude Bellingham, number one. Um, but also mm. that, you know, Starbridge and Liverpool are a long way away from each other. Yeah. Um, and I just, there's a lot of classism goes on around football and a lot of, you know, elitist talk about who's playing it and what kind of characters they have, which you don't get so much in rugby. And some of them have appalling characters um, in them. Mm. And it's, it's the difference in the way the sport's talked about, I think, to some extent. And it's a, it's a working class sport and there's working class lads playing it who then obviously come very suddenly not working class anymore because they're suddenly millionaires. Um, how do you think Jude's going to cope with that change in his circumstances? I mean, it's not a massive change now because obviously it's, it's, it's been going on with him for a few years. But uh, how do you think he's going to settle into being a multimillionaire and famed and fated and all those things that come with football glory? Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm in quite a unique position of being able to know because I sat with him and his mum earlier this year uh, and did an interview with them. And really, and then after the interview, uh, I sat for an hour and the three of us chatted. And so I really did get an insight into the kind of boy he is, the kind of family he's from. Um, and he is a, a remarkably level-headed young man. When you speak to him, and or you get the chance to listen to him, he sounds as though he's 10 or 15, 15 years older. He has fantastic perspective. He uh, has a couple of brothers, uh, and he is a, he, he's a real homebody. He is never going to be somebody that you see falling out of nightclubs. He's <clears> been <throat> superbly brought up. And already some of the negative things around football he has experience of them he spoke to me about them in the interview that i did with him and at dortmund his german club at the moment they want to keep him other players have been at the club he's at right now and have been dazzled by some of the other bigger clubs in european football coming for them and wanting to leave he says no i want to stay i want to help my club We've lost a lot of good players. You may have heard of the striker Erling Haaland, who's gone to Manchester City. He was yeah, at the same yeah, club as... Yeah, I did. I knew all about Daniel. that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but, but, but you know, but I, I, think, I think you are right. You were spot on when you said that there is a lot of elitism and classism in football. And there may, it may well be the case that people will look at a lad from Birmingham, Stourbridge and... and you know, look down their noses at him. But he is a guy already at his age, a teenager, a, a wise to the realities around football. And that's why he has a very closely knit group around him, consisting of his mom, his dad, his agent, his, his um, uh, the brothers. Uh, it's very, very tight knit so that he doesn't get carried away with himself, the game, the results. And, you know, he's... He's earned a fair bit of money already, let me tell you. But of course, as you suggest, if England do go all the way, or even if they get within touching distance, his reputation will go through the roof. 
Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see how all that pans out. But uh, good on him anyway. Now get into the comments. Ask us your questions. What do you think about Jude Bellingham? What do you think about where he's headed in the future? Do you think it's fair that he's playing next to someone who's over 30, uh, who can only... Uh, <laughs> uh, should we just have teams of well, you're 19 with year me, olds? Susie, and I'm over 50. I, you're on with me. I'm over 50. You're much younger than me. I, that's, that's not fair. Yeah, but I mean, you know, what's the... Why don't we just... Why, why aren't they all 19? Surely they're all going to play better football if they're 19 <laughs> rather than if they're 35. I don't want to make them have to retire early, but, you know, we'll see. They're obviously all elite athletes and they, they run about and practice very, very hard. So uh, they know what they're doing. So get into the comments and ask us what you think about that. But first, moving on, uh, we need to throw this forward to Saturday, right? So that's when the Lions are going to be playing France for the right to go into the semis. But, Darren, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, France are the current holders of the World Cup. Are they on form? Are they going to win? Or is it going to be sort of the 100 years war all over again, only in minutes instead of years, and, and we're going to lose? Um, they are in form. They are led by the best player. Um, that well, They're led by a man called Kylian Mbappe, a boy. He's 23 years of age. Um, so compared to me, he's a boy. But he doesn't turn 24 until a couple of days after the final. And yet he scored more World Cup goals than Pele which takes some doing Pele, obviously the world's greatest uh, Even I've icon. Heard that. Well, indeed. He won the World Cup Pele as a 17-year-old and went on to win two more. And this boy, and, and he was the leader. He was the Wayne Rooney, Lionel Messi and Ronaldo all rolled into one. And anything your favourite player has ever done... Pele did it himself uh, before uh, when he was a player. He's an exceptional footballer and a worldwide icon for any sportsman. Uh, this boy has scored more goals already in the World Cup than Pele. Um, so far this season, he's scored 24 goals in 24 games. Uh, if you include the goals that he scored for his club, which is the French champions, Paris Saint-Germain. Um, there was a quite a funny moment last night um, where one of the players was asked off camera, which one of you is going to mark Messi at the, uh, sorry, uh, Mbappe at the weekend? And he, he looked at the person who asked him the question and said, we're all marking Mbappe at the weekend because that's how good this player is. Um, yeah. He scored five World Cup goals so far out here in four games. And he, he's carried the team in some respects on his back. He's a fantastic footballer. And, you know, even though England will not fear France, it is important to, to give context to the kind of player that they will be up against. And you know, he is this season's Ronaldinho. Sorry, I was going back to go a bit all football there. But he's an exceptional footballer. And even if we want to beat the French, the French it is important to kind of give an appreciation of the talent that we're going to be witnessing at the weekend. Right. Okay. So you managed to not answer the question, Darren. Are we going to beat France? <laughs> Are we going to beat France? Well, that's a really... <laughs> I turned into a lawyer or a politician there, didn't I? Um, yeah. Are we going to beat France? Um, I, I look at the French team and they're really good. And they're very similar to England in so much as 
they they don't just have an exceptional first team, but on the bench they've got fabulous players. So just like we are able, for example, to get to an hour, be leading two nil, and call Marcus Rashford off the bench and feel Foden has won the title in England four times and. Uh, other top players, Trent Alexander-Arnold's won the Champions League and the Premier League and can't even get into the team. So can France. They can call on some outstanding defenders, midfielders, wingers, strikers. So they're going to beat They us. are a real... I don't, think, I don't necessarily think so because I think as far as England are concerned, they're playing with a lot of confidence. And I normally in World Cups, and I, I go back to nine, my first World Cup watching was 1982. I've been to five World Cups. I've watched, you know, England play over four decades and they've always kind of flattered to deceive. I think this is the best England squad I've ever seen. As a journalist, certainly. And watching football since 1982, I would argue this is the best. And I would include the likes of Beckham and Scholes and, and Gerrard and all of that because those guys only ever got to a quarterfinal. This group have got to a semi-final and a final. And they, there is a lot of depth. They work better as a team. It's not necessarily the best players that should be in this team, but the ones who work best together. And I think there is a real cohesion about them. France are good, but a lot of their moments of brilliance come from Mbappe, whereas as far as England are concerned, there are a number of players, as we've seen so far, who can score goals when Harry Kane doesn't score. Foden can, Rashford can, Saka can. Um, so there are lots of different areas where pl players can take responsibility. So I think we've got a better than average chance of beating France. I know we have a history of glorious defeat and the day after this quarterfinal or semifinal, all of us kind of commiserating and, oh, well, better luck next time. I think this time is different. And I think I might be back here on your show next Monday talking about who we're going to well, face. Well, we'll book you in now for next Monday because you are, either you're going to come on here and eat humble pie or you're going to have to explain something else to us so you can do one or the other uh, now Mike has answered the question for you which is yes England will beat France hopefully done it in uh, five words Mike well done that's far fewer than the, than the columnists managed um, but there you are that's a quick sum up for you basically so if you have to talk about football in the course of the next week these are the things you need to remember first off they're playing with the Charisma of Ali and the efficiency of Federer, right? Point number one. Point number two, Jude Bellingham's got a lovely tight-knit family around him. He's really grounded. He's not going to go completely mad, although he probably may even be better than Wayne Rooney, right? You get through that conversation. Uh, and then lastly, of course, we've got a very good chance, better than average chance of beating France, but Mbappe is the big worry. If you can just say that stuff over and over again during the course of the next few days, you will sound like you understand vaguely what's going on in the football and hopefully when someone replies to you you can just go mm, yeah yeah Mbappe can, or something. Can, I, can I add one more thing can I add one more thing Come Susie on. if anyone wants to be um, uber confident about uh, Harry Kane then bear this in mind last year he didn't score in the group stages in of the European Championship this time around he didn't do that either but last year he scored four goals in three knockout games on the way to the final. This year, he's scored one. There are a few more to come, but he seems to be coming alive in the knockout stages of the World Cup, a competition where he's already won the Golden Boot before he's coming alive again. 
So there is a reason to be optimistic about what he could That's potentially good. do. Although I, I would say from the, in, from the perspective of someone who doesn't know much about football, that the captain really should be alive pretty much from the start of the game and not just <laughs> when it gets a bit sticky. Uh, if you have to animate him in the middle, you've probably got problems. Well, but then to, to add to that, just to answer to that, because maybe if someone does go away with that stat, somebody might come at them with that very question. So I would say this. He has been alive from the start in so much as he made three assists, provided goals. Assists are When you set someone up to score a goal, that's called an assist, and he's provided three of them in the group stages. No other player has provided that many in the group stages. So he has been on it from the start. It is just the goals that he hasn't scored so far. And the fact that England as a team have so many other people scoring goals apart from the captain actually does bode well. We're not reliant on one player, whereas you could make the case that the French are. There you go. We're not addicted to Harry Kane. That's something else you can remember and take forward into your conversations during the rest of the week. Thank you for explaining <laughs> that to us, Darren. Um, <clears throat> we'll have to see where we get uh, next week, won't we? Now, keep asking us your questions. How do you feel about Harry Kane and whether he's alive or not alive? How do you feel about our chances against France? Let us know. Um, now, we're going to move on to something else now, onto firmer territory, shall we say, at least, for me at least. And Matt Hancock's book, which has been brilliantly timed to be published the moment he leaves the jungle, and is about as readable as the back of a cornflakes box, and about half as informative as well. Now, there's lots about how in love he was with Gina, and how terribly he felt about dumping all over his wife and children, before he did that anyway. Uh, but in there are also lots of claims, which are getting very short shrift. So there's sort of summed up here on this page. One of them is that Kate Bingham, the lead of the vaccine task force, was useless and he had to tell her what to do, which, according to her book, which is also just published, is the literal opposite of what happened. Uh, and another claim of his is that care homes were using staff who carried COVID in. And that's what infected and killed tens of thousands of frail and elderly residents. Now, carers who abandoned their families, who slept on floors of care homes, made huge personal sacrifices to keep those places safe, while Hancock was merrily throwing discharged and untested hospital patients into them that have begged to differ. They're not too happy. So, Darren, it's not like you can see it from a different perspective and it's, they could both be true. It's literally one or the other. I suppose the question is here, who do we believe? Isn't it? Do we I believe, believe Matt Hancock? Susie, you know, I, I get upset when I, when I hear about this this kind of thing because Matt Hancock has shown himself that very frame uh, alongside the, the words show what kind of man Matt Hancock is. Somebody who um, quite literally was sleeping on the job with someone else who was not his wife. Um, I, and um, the lawyers don't want to have to come to me for that because that picture right there tells you everything you need to know. Um, and the picture that was taken of him at work um, doing something he shouldn't tells you what he needed to know, Dancing. what you need to know as well. Dancing but also, I think... And, you know, I, I, I laugh, but, but this is no laughing matter for exactly the people that you mentioned, those carers, those people who put their lives at risk to help care for, be with patients, often in their final moments because family members couldn't be with them. The anecdotal evidence is extensive. 
So for Matt Hancock to write in his diaries, to put forward, shall we say, a tenuous at best version of events for money, because he's promoting this book and his version of events when there are millions of people who either suffered with or lost family members who would tell you a very different version of events. It's just reprehensible. And the thing that concerns me the most about this whole thing is that there are quite clearly because of the position in which he finished in the reality TV show, there are a number of people around the country who feel that to point out these facts and these other versions of events is to get on his back unfairly. And that was what happened during the period he was on the reality TV show. And lots of people said, oh, get off his back. It wasn't his fault. And the tide appeared to be turning for him when the facts said something very, very different. And for him to put that version of events into print and proffer it to suggest that he was the person who should be um, shown sympathy and not the people who suffered with those people in care homes into which so many people from hospitals with COVID were shoved. Honestly, it's just disgusting. And I, I'm not going to sit on the fence about that. It's not a laughing matter. I don't think we should. We've Listen, you and I, Susan, we work at a newspaper where we've seen and heard and read so many of the stories from the people who have suffered. So I, I, I'm not having Matt Hancock. I'm not having what I see to be lies um, I, or, uh, like I say, a questionable version of the truth at best. Yeah, I think one of the things we need to ask ourselves perhaps is the most important question any journalist asks, which is why would he want to go in the jungle right about now? Perhaps because there was a book to promote and perhaps because he suddenly wanted to look more human, as he said. He wanted to show his human side just ahead of a public inquiry that was going to rip him a new one. Uh, Paul says most villains think they're the heroes of their own stories. Paul, comment of the show. Well done. Um, you're going to get a news agenda mug for that because you've got it absolutely right and you've done it far easier and more succinctly than Darren or I. So well done. Um, now we're going to move but on. He's to right. But you know, sorry, very quickly. Paul is right. He, he, he's always been unable, Matt Hancock, to read the room. If you look at that uh, video of him alongside Wendy, I think it's Wendy Maisie, uh, the, the, the prospective uh, uh, parliamentary candidate that was on YouTube. It was a viral video and, you know, standing in the personal space and he's unable to um, kind of read just how it looks. It was almost a trivial example of the point I'm trying to make, but, it, but Matt Hancock has zero self-awareness. He simply mm. works to make sure he looks good in any given situation. And I think it was a very carefully constructed decision to go into the jungle because he wants to rehabilitate his image in the eyes of the public and to gaslight healthcare workers by suggesting they were at fault and not him and the people around him for his decision-making. Again, you know, all of those people, they will speak for themselves. They have done, as you say, because there's been a lot of a, a, an opinion there has been a lot of opinion so far to the contrary in terms of what he's said. But it's just, it's just reprehensible, 
absolutely reprehensible. Yeah. He's got a complete lack of self-doubt, which is why he was able to throw himself into those trials without worrying about spiders and roaches and stuff. Now, before we move on to some good news next, so Darren's obviously in Qatar and he's been there for a few weeks. And Darren, you were saying to me off air that Western women are really enjoying the World Cup being held there. They're not too bothered about the yeah. um, repressive regime. Yeah, I want to make a distinction between the the issues here, which are ongoing uh, around the treatment of migrant workers, uh, around the deaths of people who have helped to build the stadiums here, um, and about the, um, the, the, the there are it, it issues around sexism uh, that you know, institutional sexism here, uh, and, and a couple of other things, and. There is a distinction between those things which have been an issue and will continue to be an issue here. The Qataris and the people here say that they are going to be addressed. When you go into the media centres here, there are big uh, billboards and whatever else setting out the measures that they intend to take with the spotlight on this country and this region uh, and the pressure on them to do that. I want to make a distinction between that and the experience that people have had coming here. Because when I got to the airport on the morning of my flight here, I bumped into a lot of people who, and we all had the same expression, there were a lot of apprehension about coming here. There was a, a lot of a, a suggestion that we would come here and we'd have a really, a not very nice time, and that there'd be a, a, an oppressive culture and atmosphere. But on any given day when you walk down the streets, there are people, I, I saw a couple um, holding hands, no issues around them, nobody back in the I've seen lots of people. Um, they said you couldn't film anywhere you go, hey, you can't film. Um, but there are people walking down the street with their selfie sticks and their cameras and whatever else. Um, they say that you can't go around with bare arms and chest, you know. And I think within reason, it's very relaxed. I've seen lots of Western women walking mm. around uh, with bare arms. And there are lots of, and I think what's been even most, even more or most significant is that Western women coming back are telling their own stories of their experience here. And they are saying that it, they felt safe here. They're saying that they felt that the decision to ban beer was particularly significant because it's been a World Cup held in a culture of um, friendliness, warmth. There hasn't been the kind of sexism and catcalling and negativity that they've been used to in Europe. And their feeling is that they've felt relatively safe out here. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's been a very instructive World Cup from that point of view. The culture's obviously changed a little bit in terms of the football, but of course, a lot of those women wouldn't necessarily have been raped while they were there, had a miscarriage, wanted an abortion or to get divorced, all of which they would find very exactly. difficult and very different experience than they would do at home. Um, I don't see quite why women's rights have to involve being kept at the football, but it does. I, I think, I, I, and all of those things are true, which is the reason why I, I make that distinction between people's experience out here and some of the things that are embedded. And, 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 you know, that there are, what I found out here is that there are varying levels of expertise when you look at the service industry, when you look at um, other areas of, you, you have to remember this is a very young country, it's around about 50, 51 years old. Um, and there are lots of elements of this country that need training, that need um, leadership. And 
you know, even around law, you know, listen, let's not kid ourselves that the law around rape victims in England is any better than it is out here. You know, we all know the statistics. We all seen a litany of stories regarding the conduct. I know, but no, Darren, now, come on, I'm going to pull you up there because women who get raped in the UK very rarely get arrested for having sex outside marriage, which does happen. In no, you're right. You're right. You're, no, you're right. We're, we're, we're not on any, we're not, we're not on, on opposite sides in relation to this. I think you're absolutely right. I, again, which is why I made that distinction right at the start that there are issues what i'm saying is that we live in a patriarchal culture worldwide where the treatment of women has to improve full stop that's where i was getting to um i probably needed to be much more succinct there um but you're absolutely right and just because the football has been good and just because western women stroke people have had a good experience here it doesn't mean that the spotlight shouldn't be on those issues and it's got to remain on those issues out here. And I think we in the West have to keep that spotlight on here just as we do at home. Uh, but as I say, it is important to listen to some of the experience of the women who have been out here because they've been very instructive for me as much as anybody else. Um, and I can only tell you that during the time I've been here, it has been um, a very instructive uh, experience for me and I've, I've, I will come away with a very different experience to the one I expected to have out here. Okay, it's a good point to end it on. Uh, thanks for that, Darren. Right, we're going to get into the good news next. But uh, if you've got any questions about hosting the World Cup in Qatar, what do you think about women's rights in the Middle East? Are you in agreement with Darren that it's all gone pretty smoothly, considering? Or are you in agreement with me that there's still an awful lot of issues to deal with out there? <clears throat> Let us know what you think. Um, but first off, there is some good news in the world. And here it is. Now, if you ask me, there is nothing better on the planet, uh, unless you're a vegan, than having a steak and an egg and a nice cup of tea. But scientists, bless them, they've taken a break from space and vaccines and stuff to look at the important stuff, which is our food. And have worked out that the protein within those things, the organic compounds, is amazingly good for us and stops women busting a hip as they get older. Uh, it only applies to women, but they have a 45% reduced risk of hip fracture uh, as a result of brittle bone disease if they have a regular steak egg and a nice cup of tea so darren is this proof really that a fella should always always treat the lady in his life to a nice steak dinner once a week <laughs> yeah well, well yeah i mean there's somebody who enjoys the steak exactly well well indeed um at what point he's a little bit stumped maybe just go for the egg rather than uh the steak but i think as far as um I've seen various versions of this story uh, over the years, and uh, the obviously, as you say, that the inference is that health-wise there are lots of benefits. Um, I wonder if that would be the case. I mean, my my neighbour, she had a hip replacement because she fell, broke her hip. I think of more concern for her was the fact that she had to wait ten hours for an ambulance rather than uh, she should have had a steak. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you're you're a woman who maybe got a couple of binoculars uh, looking at your advanced years, very deep into the distance. Does that make you? Well, it, Do you want to come back on you are young, As you are a young woman with a with with those years in the distance. <laughs> I didn't phrase that very no. well at all, but I'm sure you know what I, I mean. think. The, I think the point you're 
probably trying to make and failing terribly to do is that <laughs> just about you being able to eat a steak regularly doesn't necessarily have reduced your risk of having a hip fracture or a indeed, bone disease indeed. because if you're the kind of person who can if you're the kind of person who can afford to eat steak regularly, you're probably less likely to have brittle bone disease. Whereas, indeed, you know, uh, someone who is poorer, you know, correlation and causation, two different things. But this is still good news. It does mean that you can go out and have eggs, steak, if you can find any of these things and afford them and they have been security tagged in the supermarket. Um then they may be good for you to eat a high-protein diet, ladies. That's what we're saying. I mean, and and so just to add to out. what you're saying, just to add to what you're saying there, Susie, and apologies to anyone who thinks I'm interrupting, Susie, there is that delay, um, that five-second delay, which means every so often we crash over each other. But um, the point you made is very significant because whatever the health benefits are, we live in a very difficult time. And if you're listening to this and you're someone who has to use food banks or you're someone who's affected by the cost of living crisis, we, what we know is that very often it's far cheaper to eat badly rather than healthily. So in many respects, this may well be good advice, but there are a lot of people who can't take it, who can't afford to take it. And that's uh, the dichotomy, if you like, that, that, that we face right now. Exactly. Uh, I don't think steak's ever going to be cheap, but if you do get a chance to have some anybody, it probably is quite good for you. Uh, even veggies and vegans, I'd say the same, and uh, they'd be upset with me, but there we go. Um, thank you very much, Darren, for taking us through all that, uh, for insulting me so roundly, uh, and for agreeing to come back on the show next Monday, when hopefully I get to insult you, because we'll have lost. Actually, I don't hope that we lose. I just hope I can insult Darren a bit. Um, thank you, everyone, for taking part. Thank you, Darren, for explaining it all to us. Uh, good luck, everybody, Very getting good, through good. the week. Remember, uh, the charisma of Ali, the efficiency of Federer, uh, and Harry Kane's made three assists, so he's doing actually quite well. There you go. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you all again on Wednesday for another edition of the News Agenda. Tatty bye.